invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 25 as we continue in our series in Exodus free at last. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined, uh, twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate, breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so shall you make it. This is the Word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we do pray now as we all of us sit under the authority of Your Word. We pray, do that work through Your Word by the power of the Spirit. Shape us, conform us, mold us to the image of Your Son and our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in His name. Amen. After attending church one Sunday morning, the little boy knelt at his bedside that night and prayed. Dear God, we had a good time at church today, but I wish you had been there. But I wish you had been there. In the next several chapters of Exodus, God is going to make provision to be with His people through the building of a portable sanctuary where the people will be able to meet with the Lord, where they will be able to draw near to God in worship. Indeed, this large tent is going to be referred to as the tent of meeting. And through this uh, portable sanctuary, God will communicate His presence and thereby the centrality of His worship, the true God of heaven and earth will make his home with them and therefore is to be the only object of their worship. Indeed, this is the very reason that God gives to Pharaoh to let his people go. He tells him through Moses in chapter 8, verse 1, let my people go that they may serve me, they may worship me. I am their God. I alone brought them into being. I am the source of their good and their hope of their past and their present and their future. Let them go because there is no God but me. And through them, I'm going to teach the nations that truth so that many among those nations will too come to know that there is no God but me and be drawn into my presence to worship me and me alone. And so God draws near to His people. He draws near to us to teach us 
to worship him alone because all of our good is bound up in worshiping him alone. As God dwells with his people, they will be consistently reminded through his presence of their call to worship him as their covenant Lord. In, in his commentary on, ex, on Exodus, uh, Douglas Stewart says this in his introduction to this section of Exodus. He says, worship is the first and most basic response of a true believer to the true God. It should begin immediately upon conversion, continue with regularity and consistency, consistency throughout the rest of life, and be continued forever in heaven. It's clear from the Scripture that God enjoys being worshipped and expects His people to find joy in worshiping Him as well. Worship should bring pleasure and benefit both to the worshiper and to the true divine object of his or her worship. In fact, this is our, this is our chief end, as the confession tells us. The glory of God and the enjoyment of God forever. To have a good time in church without God is to miss the true heart of what worship is all about. But if we're having a good time in God's presence, then that's all right. For in His presence, there is fullness of joy. And in His right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let the nation sing and let the peoples rejoice. Holy One, above all, your matchless name we will call God. We bow before you and we worship you only. Amen, people of God. And so the sanctuary this portable tabernacle would be the place of God's dwelling, and it would be the meeting place between God and His people. Through the construction of this sanctuary and the activity around and in it, God would teach His people to worship Him rightly as their covenant God. This is the God who has drawn near to us in Jesus, to whom we are called to draw near in our worship. Amen. As the writer of Hebrews encourages us, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So how do we, how do we draw near to this God in worship who draws near to us to dwell with us and to be with us? Well, first of all, we are to draw near to God willingly willingly. In, uh, in verse 1 and 2, we're told again, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. God has determined on the basis of the covenant He has just made with the people of Israel to dwell in their midst. They will not journey alone, but God Himself will be with them and be their God. Yet in order for this to happen, the people must build God a sanctuary. Now, the sanctuary isn't going to somehow encompass the fullness of God, for God Himself will say later, uh, even about the temple itself, thus says the Lord, in Isaiah 66, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And what 
is the place of my rest. Indeed, God is too big to dwell in the things that we make with our hands, and yet He, in His grace and mercy, condescends to dwell with us and to make His presence known among us. And so he'll make his presence, he tells the people, felt in this portable sanctuary, and the people will be called to meet with the God of heaven and earth there to worship. And at the outset, a principle is laid down for God's people in what that worship is uh, to look like. And, And the principle is this, that our worship is to be a free response of gratitude for the grace of God poured out on us in covenant. God has shown His people grace in delivering them and calling them into relationship with Himself. And the appropriate response to such grace is that we would freely give to God what we have in gratitude for what He has done. God desired not a compulsory gift in building the sanctuary for Him, but a voluntary one, one given out of a heart, moved by what God Himself had done for His people. Worship at its heart is a free response of offering to God what we have in gratitude for what He has done. Tell them to bring me an offering, but, but, but I only want people to bring an offering whose heart is moved to do so. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, What you've heard me repeat several times during the offertory, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves cheerful giver, those who give willingly, those who give freely out of a response of gratitude for what God Himself has done. The free sacrifice of our whole selves is our spiritual worship. And so Paul says again in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. God, God invites you to freely give yourself to Him because He has freely given Himself to you. This is the principle being taught here. I I don't want compulsory gifts. Rather, he calls Moses to gather offerings from those whose hearts are moved to give, those who are disposed to freely give to the God who has freely given to them. God doesn't want stingy folk. folk. Folk who hold back their praise. Folk who hold back their worship as if it is something God has to earn from them. No, God has already done great things for which we should be glad. God has already moved mountains. He's already carried us through valleys. He's already enabled us to climb hills. He's already taken us through storms. He's already taken us through waters. He's already taken us through the rivers. Israel didn't get here by themselves. God carried them, he said, on eagle's wings. I bore you. I brought you. I carried you. I I freely delivered you. I freely set you free. And so, what I want from you is not a compulsory gift. I want you to give because your heart is moved to do so. Out of gratitude for what I have done. 
And according to the scriptures, God ain't through yet. He's not through blessing. He's not through giving grace. He's not through caring. He's not through bearing. He's not through taking us through the waters and the rivers and the storms of life. And the person who knows God's grace, who has experienced the blessings of his covenant, has no other appropriate response than to freely give to God what he asks from you because he has freely given to you. There's a, there's a principle being laid down here from the very outset. I don't want compulsory worship. I want Worship that comes from a willing heart. And for our worship of God to be free, it must be, it must be rooted in the reminders of the grace of God toward us in covenant. And we don't really have to search for those reminders, right? The Scriptures are filled with those reminders and the works of God's providence in our lives bear witness to the grace of God on a day-to-day basis. We didn't wake ourselves up this morning. We, we, we don't really put food on our own table. I, I, know we, I know we think that way, especially in America. We kind of we think it's our hard work that, that, that put, puts food on the table. That's really not how it works. God gives generously to the creation and provides for you through that creation. That's why the birds don't sow or toil or spin, because they know that when they get up in the morning, there's going to be food on the ground, and God is going to provide what they need. But somehow, as human beings, we think we're making it happen. But you're not making it happen. God is good. And that's why you got food. We don't have shelter because of our own making. All our resources are rooted in a generous God who opened his hand to create everything and opens his hand every day to provide what we need. This is why the apostle Peter declares his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need to live, God gives it to you. And everything you need to walk in godliness He gives it to you. The God who has freely given deserves a response of free worship. So when we come before the Lord, we should come with a willing heart and with a posture of surrender, ready and willing to give to God all we are in response to Him giving us everything. The call of Willing worship is a call to remember what God has done, to remember that the God who calls us to come freely is the God who has freely given us all things. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Willingly. But not only does God invite His people in this text to to, to give for for this sanctuary, for the the building of this sanctuary, willingly, he He also invites them to do this expectantly. Listen again in verses 3 to 8. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple 
and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen and goat's hair and tanned ramskins and goatskins and acacia wood and oil for the lamps and spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense and onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Many of the materials the people were to bring would be materials that were either in the vicinity where they were or materials they had received from the Egyptian people when they left Egypt. Thus, in a real sense, they were, they were being asked to give what God had already provided. These were not things they picked up on their own. These were things that God allowed them to receive from the Egyptians when they left Egypt. Yet, I, what I want us to focus on here is verse 8. What would be the conclusion of this building project? When this sanctuary was up, what would be the conclusion? What would be its end result? God Himself would come and dwell in His people's midst. Now, that isn't news for you this morning because you've heard me say that often in preaching through this book. But what caught me this week was the note of expectation in God's statement to Moses. The people, in other words, were to build this sanctuary expectantly, that is, with an excitement that at the end of its construction, the God of heaven and earth would come and make His home with them. They would come and make His home in their midst, to be, to, to, to be able to expect that the God of heaven and earth would be with them should have blown their minds. And it should blow ours as well. The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Through Jesus, in other words, we have assurance of our access into the most holy place. That is the place where God dwells. We can expect, in other words, that through Jesus, we will experience the very presence of God. We can expect that the guilt and sin that barred that access has been taken away in Jesus. We, we expect, therefore, that God is with us to bless us, that He is with us to heal us, that He is with us to forgive us, that He is with us to cleanse us, and that He is with us to provide for us, and that He's with us to help us navigate the seasons of confusion and the seasons of doubt and fear and worry and despair. Worship is an expectant activity. I need a handkerchief. My you know, like, you know what I'm talking about? Eric, me wipe your face because I'm sweating up here. All right. <laughs> Thank you, darling, for giving him the… I appreciate it. I'll pop it open. Thank you, man. <laughs> Sorry for that pause. But worship is an expectant activity. For in drawing near to God, the God of heaven, we are drawing near to the source of all of our good and all of our hope, and all of our joy, and all of our confidence. Build me a sanctuary, God says in essence. Why? Because I'm going to dwell with you. 
Prepare for it. Build toward it. Expect it. That question for us this morning, do we expect God's presence to be with us? Or do we just wish God would be with us? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Do you come here expecting to meet with God? Do you come here expecting that God will be with us in this place as we worship Him? Don't, don't come here just to listen to me. Don't, don't, don't come here just to shake the person's hand next to you. That's great. You should love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't, don't come here just to be seen. When you come into this place, you should come expecting that the Lord Himself will be here to meet you as you gather together before Him in worship, that, that He will meet you to answer the, 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 the things that are going on in your heart and your life, that He will be here to respond to your hurts and your pains and your needs and your sorrows and your joys, to, to, to expect that, that God will actually meet with you to encourage you and to strengthen you and to, and to build you up and to lift you up. When you come here, you should come expecting to meet with the God of heaven and earth who says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God says, I am present with my people when they gather to worship and make decisions about the church. I'm in their midst. And so you should come expecting to meet with the God of heaven and earth. Not with Tony. But with the Lord. who says, I will be with you. I will make my home with you. It's the God who has now made his home with us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King, who says that he will give us his spirit. And he has given us his spirit. So that everywhere we are, our God is present. And he's present when we gather together for worship. Amen, people of God. Worship that is expectant is worship that is rooted in faith. God's promise was that the building of the sanctuary would result in His coming to dwell among His people. God's people needed to believe that His promise would come to pass. But you know the story, right? In just, in just a few days, they're going to they're, they're they're, they're, they're build themselves an idol, and they're going to say, this is the God who brought us up out of Egypt. In other words, they're going to forget that Moses is on the mountain making provisions for God, the God of heaven and earth, to be with them, and they're going to build themselves their own God to be with them. That's why I made the comment I just made, to be expecting that God is going to be present with us so that we don't build idols for ourselves to be with us instead of God. True worship is centered in Faith, it's centered in believing that the God who has called us to Himself 
has and will keep His promise to be with us. And this means uh, resisting the lies of our own heart and the lies of the world and the lies of the devil. It means resisting the temptation to believe that in seasons of hardship or, or doubt or lack or suffering or persecution or danger or death, that God has left us to deal with life on our own. The people thought that that, 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 that time period that, 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 that Moses was on the mountain, that, that, that in that time God had somehow left them. Some of y'all know that, right? Seasons of life where you, where, you, where you feel like God is not there and the temptation in your heart is to believe God isn't here, I got to replace him with something. Got to replace him with another God. Something else that I think can carry me through. But it's in this sanctuary that that, that is in the presence of God, that the psalmist, struggling with how it could go so well at times with the wicked and so bad at times with the righteous, that, that he finds clarity and resolution and renewed faith. He finds it in the sanctuary. He finds it in the presence of God. He finds it in, in the worship of God. He, he, he comes to the sanctuary expecting God to give him an answer about what's going on and why his life feels so jacked up and messed up and everybody else's life looks like it's going well. He expects when I come into the presence of God, God's going to meet me and speak. But, it, but is that what, do we expect God to, to speak to us, to be present with us, to minister to us? Not to give us the answers we want to hear, to give us the answers we need. All I'm saying is that God calls us to be expectant in worship, expecting that He will meet with us and bring what we need for every season of our lives. Build me a sanctuary because when the sanctuary is completed, I will come and dwell with you. No, everything won't make sense in this life, and everything won't get resolved the way we want. But if we seek the Lord, expecting to find Him, we will find Him and find that He is ever-present to those who believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So God lays down the principle, come uh, willingly, bring your offerings willingly for the building of this sanctuary. Come expectantly that knowing that when this sanctuary is completed, I will dwell in your midst. I will be with you. The last thing that worship of the Lord is, it's longingly, willingly, expectantly, longingly. In verse 9, we read this, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall, you shall make it. The Mosaic Sanctuary, will, we will learn later in the Scriptures, was to be a copy of the heavenly sanctuary, that Moses was to make it exactly as God said, was to ensure that it functioned symbolically to represent the reality of heaven. The writer of Hebrews says, uh, speaking of the, uh, of the priests who served in God's earthly tabernacle, he says, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See, uh, Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Of course, the Mosaic sanctuary was a copy. Uh, that it was a copy doesn't necessarily mean that it was an exact copy. 
T. Desmond Alexander says this in his commentary on this verse. He says the word tabnet is, uh, has the general sense of, of likeness, indicating a resemblance between two items. What Moses built was to represent the reality of heaven, to give the people a picture of God's heavenly dwelling, and that Moses was to build this place of worship exactly as God tells him, reminds us that, that when, it, when it comes to worship, God has the final word and what that looks like. We, we don't just get, get to make up whatever we want, but must worship the Lord as He tells us to. But I'm glad to be a part of an intercultural church because in drawing together from among all the nations, we are reminded that what the Lord commands us to do in the Scriptures and worshiping Him is beautifully diverse among the cultures of the earth. But there's something more than this at play here for the building of the sanctuary exactly as God describes to Moses. There's another purpose. There's another purpose. And Douglas Stewart says this in his commentary on this verse. What was the point of such a demand for precise adherence to a revealed design? It was to create a longing for and hope of heaven in the hearts of God's people, a desire to live in His presence forever. Y'all know this, but we ain't home yet. We are not home yet. And even our best worship experiences, our best worship experiences with God, this side of heaven, remind us of that that we are not home yet. For, for no sooner than we have left this sanctuary than the feelings of joy and hope and confidence began to wane. Any, anybody know what I'm talking about? We, we, we come in here, we worship God, we have a good time in the Lord's presence, we are lifted up and encouraged and strengthened in our faith, and no sooner than we leave this building, it starts to wane. And so, we're reminded that, that we need next Sunday, and, and we need next Sunday, and, and we need next Sunday because we need to be reminded over and over and over again that our, that our destiny, our, our home is to be with the Lord forever in His presence without anything hindering our access to Him. It's partly why we need the consistency of weekly worship. We need the reminders of the Word, the sacraments. We need the songs to keep us from sinking into despair, from giving up. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you have had those times with God of deep joy and hope in worship. And you say to yourself, I just wish that that could last for." I just wish that when I got in the car, my kids would act like they have some sense and I wouldn't lose what I just got this morning. I just, I just wish that when I left this place, my neighbors wouldn't act a fool so I could continue to, 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 to relish in the glory of God and in the beauty of His holiness. But no sooner than I leave. I'm talking real stuff now, if y'all… I wish I could feel this every day. I wish I could have this hope every day and this confidence every day and this joy every day. I wish I could have this clarity and this certainty all the time. There is a longing 
that drawing near to God creates in our hearts, a longing for that day when we will enter into God's presence once and for all, and all those no mores will come true. No more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow. There, there's, there's, a, there's a longing that comes in worship because we, we sense in this place when we are in the presence of God, we sense what, what, what's coming, right? We get, a, we get a glimpse of the hope to come. We get a glimpse of the joy to come. We get a glimpse of, 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 of the happiness to come. We get, a, we get a glimpse of everything being fixed and everything being right the way it's supposed to be. And that's what worship does. It creates a longing for heaven because this ain't home. Because this isn't home. I got news for some of y'all. America is not home. It's not home. Home is the new heavens and the new earth. Home is everything renewed. Home is everything fixed. Home is everything being the way it's supposed to be. Home is everything made right. Home is all the no mores coming true. Home is being able to behold the face of Jesus. Home is being able to behold the glory of God. Home is being able to see everything the way it was supposed to be, the way it's been created to be. And when we come into worship, we get, we get a glimpse of that. We get an experience of what is coming. And that's why I want to encourage you, the way the writer of Hebrews encouraged you, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because it is in the worship of God that you are reminded of what's coming. Worship creates longing. And that longing is a good thing where it keeps us focused on that day, even as we number our days this side of heaven. And so I got to ask you this morning, what are you truly longing for? What is, what is your heart really seeking after ultimately? You know this, the, the, world, the world tries to shape our longings. The world, the world tries to shape our longings so as to guide us into the things that it prizes and the things that it values. But, but God wants to shape our longings to, uh, uh, to that uh, so that we are guided into the things that He loves, the things that, that are ultimately to our good. Indeed, He works to shape our longing for Himself because He is the true source of all of our good. That's why the sanctuary will be in the midst of them, so they will be reminded of what they are actually called to worship, what is actually the source of all their good. God seeks in, 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 in meeting with us in, in worship to shape our longing for Himself because He's the source of our good. Worship then invites us to consider where our longing is really focused, where our heart's desire really is pointed. And if it's not on the Lord, then it calls us to refocus on Him, to cast our eyes and lift up our hearts and submit our hands again to the one who is everything that we could ever want or need in this life and the life to come. And we need the consistency of being called into worshiping God because every single day other things are pulling at us for our worship. Other things are pulling at us to be the delight of our lives, to be the center of our lives. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are broke now tired now, frustrated now, anxious now, 
depressed now because we got distracted this week with our idols, whatever they are. And they have not given us the joy that they promised, the happiness that they promised, the encouragement that they promised, the good that they promised. Yet when the Lord is at the center of our lives, we may experience all the challenges that come in this life, but we will also experience His presence and His peace, a presence and a peace that calls us to long more and more for Him. What are you longing for? What is your heart really seeking after? Is it the Lord who then gives you everything good for this life? Or is it all that stuff that you think is the source of all of your happiness and good? I pray that as we have learned the Lord Jesus who He is and what He has done for us. I pray that we would allow the Lord Jesus by His Spirit to draw us into a worship of our God and our King that is willing, that is expectant, that is longing. And I pray that in that worship we would experience all the good that the Lord longs to give to us in His presence. Because though we may be a stingy people, and I'm talking about y'all, He is not a stingy God. You know how He gives grace? He pours it out. He pours it out so that every day that you wake up, you're a shower in the grace of the living God. My goodness, if that don't make you worship, if that don't make you say amen, if that doesn't cause you to stomp your feet and clap your hands, if that doesn't cause you to do cartwheels and backflips and all that, if that doesn't cause you to worship, I don't know what will. The Lord lavishes grace upon you that you do not deserve. What other response can we give but a worship that is willing and expectant and longing? Amen, God. Father, we pray. Father, we pray. We pray in the name of Jesus that this would indeed be the shape of our worship. Jesus has saved us, delivered us, set us free from sin and death and everything that flows from them. He has brought us back to our God and King. Through Him, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace has been lavished on us. Lord, what other response can we give but a worship 
worship that is willing and expectant and longing. Lord, I pray, teach us to worship you rightly. Teach us to worship you as you taught your people of old to worship and as you teach us now to worship through Jesus Christ in the new covenant. May our worship be filled with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord. May it be filled with hands that are clapping in joy for what you have done. May it be filled with hearts that are lifted up towards you. May it be filled, Lord, with lives submitted to you. And pray that our worship would bring you joy, even as you bring us joy. Pray this in Jesus' name.